0: welcome to Grayson 30 on weralp arlington 96.7 fm this is ed malik and i'm joined by my co-host sal dietrich sal how are you tonight ed uh,
1: you know i'm a little under the weather but uh, i'm doing well and you know it's flu season we're all uh, feeling it a little bit but tonight we're going to talk a little bit about some spiritual healing And I think at this time, at the holidays, and and especially with so much going on in our nation right now, uh, we could not have a better topic tonight. And I know tonight's guest, uh, Philip Yancey, has had a huge impact on your life, so tell us a bit more.
0: Yeah, about 20 years ago, I was uh, really adrift in my Christian faith. I had stopped attending uh, the legalistic church I had been a part of for many years. I was chasing a big payday in the world of high-tech startups, and I had recently become a dad. All the while, something was gnawing at my heart, and I couldn't put my finger on it. As I wandered through Barnes & Noble, as I often did in those days, I kept passing by a book that was entitled, What's So Amazing About Grace? At first, I thought, hey, that's a catchy title. And then I started to think more and more deeply about the question until I finally said to myself, what is so amazing about grace? So I purchased the book, and I read it, and it basically changed my life. So today, we're joined by Philip Yancey, uh, the author of that book, and 20 others, four of them written with uh, Dr. Paul Brand, and many of them award-winning. Philip's most recent book is entitled Vanishing Grace, Whatever Happened to the Good News? In it, he revisits the topic of grace, noting that his original question has only grown more urgent in recent years. So I'm super excited to have him join us, and uh, Philip, welcome to Grace in 30.
1: Thank
2: you very much, guys.
1: Yeah, welcome, Philip. I will tell you, I've also read uh, read your book. Ed knocked on my door one day and said, put it in my hand, and said, you better read this. So, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, great book. Um, you know, look, it seems like we are in, uh, obviously now, in such a, a time of divisiveness uh, in our country uh, and really in the world. And and in your book about uh, what's so amazing about grace, you talk about uh, some of these encounters and some of the small steps that we can start taking um, to be graceful w- what do you think uh, give our listeners some some thoughts here you know just coming out of the election uh, about our country and and how we can start coming together again
2: the other day I, I found a book on my shelf that I hadn't looked at for a long time Francis Schaefer as you know was one of the people who got Christians involved in politics especially on issues like abortion he and uh, Dr. C Everett Koop maybe thirty, forty years ago. And and yet at the end of his life, Francis Schaefer wrote a little book called The Mark of a Christian. It comes right out of John. The mark of a Christian is love. And he said, If we don't if we don't get marked by our love, that's not the first thing that people think of when they think of Christian, we're doing something wrong. And I, I thought back to Jesus' final prayer, the last request he made before leaving his disciples, he said, I want to pray that you would have the same unity, that you would be one, the same unity that we have in the Godhead, so that when people look at you, they, there's no explanation for that unity. I step back and I think, oh, my goodness. Um, I don't know about your Facebook site. I don't know about your social media. But those are not the first two uh, words that come to mind when I, when I hear about Christians these days, love and unity. Instead, it's anger and divisiveness and judgment and condemnation somehow we're missing the boat we've got we've got to somehow recapture that spirit of grace that Jesus demonstrated so magnificently
1: that's right i agree with you you know i'm pre- we're pretty active on twitter and it seems to me that you know so many uh, people of any religion have a political slant to it and it's saddening in many ways it's disappointing to me i understand that the people are passionate but at the same time Uh, that their actions should resemble their faith, whatever that faith may be. I mean, what can we in Christians, uh, you know, uniquely offer the world in in these times? Uh, You know, Pope Francis has, um, you know, just uh, closed what he calls the Year of Mercy, which I think was was a a great success. But, uh, you know, how can we sort of do that uh, as Christians uniquely?
2: It is tricky. It's challenging because obviously there are important issues that we need to be involved in. I think back to a phrase that I got from Martin Luther King Jr. He was no coward. He's out there on the front lines being attacked by the police dogs, being beaten, being thrown in jail. And yet, how did he respond? He said, Yeah, we are called to fight on issues that are important. And for him, justice, uh, racial justice, was very important. But he said, We use different weapons, we use the weapons of grace and in politics it's it's an adversary sport we saw that so clearly this last year so you demean your opponent you denigrate them you tell lies about them you know this is how politics works but it's not how grace works it's not how christians work and so yeah we've got to be involved in these issues but we've got to do it with a different spirit than certainly we've seen this past year
1: yeah i agree with uh, our guest a few weeks ago was uh Uh, Gentlemen who have been tomb of the unknown soldier guards and one of the things they said is how when people come there No matter what their differences no matter what their race color or creed that we're all Americans there that that sort of become consumed in it. And I don't know if you've ever been to the tomb of the unknown soldier, but the experience there I'm sure you can relate to anyone who's been there can relate to that and 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 we need that same uh, Spirit that sort of overwhelms us in grace. uh, I think and and uh, you know, that's a key thing I mean, I've looked at some of your you know some of your writings, and you say, you know, serve not others through some hidden scheme. You know, rather, you know, contribute to the common good. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And and it's something that we can all do. You don't have to be an activist. You don't have to be a professional politician. When I was writing the book Vanishing Grace that you mentioned, I came across this verse in Hebrews that I'd never noticed before. Hebrews twelve fifteen, and it goes like this: See to it that no one misses the grace of God. And I thought, you know, that's something every one of us can do and i i started looking for people who uh... taught me how to do that on a daily ordinary uh, basis the one that impressed me most was this woman in toronto i was i was actually scouting out trying to find ways that people could express grace in an unexpected way and, and so i asked them have any of you found what i call hinge moments when people are more open to grace And this very shy woman in the back raised her hand and she said Yes, I think God has called me to minister to telephone salesmen. <laughs> I, said, I said, "You mean those people that call at six oh five, right as I sit down and have my first bite of hot food, and they, I pick up the phone and they just start yakking and they won't stop, and finally I just hang up on them in disgust." She said, "Yeah, those people. All day long, they listen to people like you, and so I, I listen to everything they say." And when they're done, I'll, I say, are you finished? I almost never buy anything. But I say, you you must have a really hard job. And they say, oh, yeah, you wouldn't believe the kind of people I deal with every day. People like me, right? And she says, well, I'm a Christian, and I believe in prayer. Is there something I could pray with you about? And and she described these incidents where people would just break down crying, and she'd actually have a prayer with them over the phone. In the background, she can hear other insurance salesman or whatever else is going on there, and I thought, wow, isn't that something? That's an advanced school of grace, to take the people that your first reaction is to hang up on them, curse them, whatever, and to turn that into a moment of grace. Beautiful story.
0: Yeah, I I thought about how I react (laughs) to it shamefully when people like that call. Um, I've heard some people do what you described, and I I, I admire their ability to do that. Um, I'm not sure
2: how you do that in traffic yet, but...
0: (laughs) So uh, in the opening pages of What's So Amazing About Grace, your 97 book, you wrote that uh, grace was the last best word. Mm-hmm. And uh, to share with our listeners what you meant by that, and do you still feel that way about the word grace? I
2: started making a list, in fact, I included a couple in or several in that book, of ways in which the word grace is used. It appears in, in the English language a lot. Uh, people are gracious, or they... Um, are graceful athletes. We say your grace to royalty or we say grace before a meal. My favorite one, I was uh renting a car one time in in Los Angeles. I did get stuck in traffic and and I was going to be late and I you know how these rental companies they they really suck you. If you're 1 hour late, they just slam you for a big price. So I was kind of irritated and I there's nothing I could do about it. Just couldn't get through the traffic. And I got there Rattled and upset and put the keys down on the hertz counter, and she clicks on the computer and then says, that's it, Mr. Yancey. I said, well, don't I owe anything? I'm, I'm a little late. And she said, she checked again, she said, oh, well, see, we have a one-hour grace period. Hmm. And I said, oh, what is grace? And she looked very puzzled. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they cover that in their training manual. <laughs> and, then, and then she said, well... well I guess it means, even though you're supposed to pay, you don't have to. And I thought, wow, that's, that's a pretty good theological definition of grace, is. isn't it? You know? uh, it? The classic is unmerited favor. It's even though we're supposed to pay, we don't have to. Somebody's done it for us.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's a good, actually a good segue. You said uh, unmerited favor. I guess in, in, in the Christian definition, it's the unmerited favor of God, Correct. Correct. And, and and there's also a thing called common grace. Is that something you ascribe to, or?
2: Oh yeah, I mean, common grace is um, is what makes us what makes a society possible to live in, and and just the world around us, nature. I I live in Colorado, man. Every time I look out my window, I experience common grace, and it's available to everybody. You don't have to be a Christian. You don't have to go to church. Just open your eyes, look around.
1: Yeah. Yeah. One of your blogs, you talk about, you know, the national parks and having uh, encountered a grizzly bear on one of your adventurous 14 uh, er hikes right. and how the world was, you know, there in essence that your fate was always there. It's like the people who live in the, the mountainside of a volcano. You know, they live there. They have their pack ready to go, but they're always present that at any moment they could be consumed. I mean, some of that is is part of this living grace is just asking yourself, you know, you know, w- can I do this right now? What what's holding me back from pursuing, you know, my higher purpose or or my calling to grace right now, right? Why wait in essence?
2: Yes, life itself is come grace. I Oh my goodness, it was 9 years ago now. I had a rollover accident where I was driving on one of those Colorado roads, and it was icy, and and the car went off the road and tumbled down a cliff five different times. It turned over and over, just a terrifying experience. And I ended up with a broken neck, and they weren't sure I was going to survive because they said if if one of the fragments of bone had punctured an artery, even though they had a jet standing by to fly me to Denver, I wouldn't make it in time for surgery. So I, I really faced this could be my last day. Um, on earth. And when I came back, I had medical treatment, walked around in a neck brace for about 12 weeks. And I, I described that first week or so as a days of grace. I just walked around. Wow, look at the sky. It's so blue. Those clouds, they're so white. Those trees are green. What a great world we lived in, you know, because I had faced the possibility of, of leaving that world, of, of my life ending. And I, I wish—sometimes I look back on that and say, why can't I keep that up every day, <laughs> you know? Mm. Because the, the same grace is available out there, but we get all caught up in our busyness and our own little selfish things, and, and we just forget that we're surrounded by that days of grace.
0: You, you know, you also describe grace with words like shocking and scandalous. Mm. And, and uh, you know, share with the listeners what, what you mean by that.
2: Well, if you go back to Jesus' stories, they all have the wrong person as the hero. He told a story about uh, a good Jewish rabbi and kind of a heretic Samaritan. Who's the hero of that story? The good Samaritan. He told a story about a family that had two sons. One was a good, obedient older brother, did everything he was supposed to. The other one was a renegade who ran away, squandered his money. Who's the hero of that story? The prodigal son. And that's the, that's the shocking thing about grace. Funny story, I, I got a letter one time after this book came out. It turned out to be from um, a minister in the European Parliament. And uh, it started out, I, I want to talk to you about your book, What's So Annoying About Grace? And I thought, oh, no, here's another angry reader, you know. <laughs> and, and so I wrote back. As I read the letter, I figured out, he wasn't angry at all. It's actually a fan letter, but the secretary had mistyped it. Instead of "What's so amazing about grace?", she wrote "What's so annoying about grace?" Oh, the more I thought about that, I thought, "Wow, it is pretty annoying." You know, Jesus told the story about uh, people who who come to work, and some come at eight o'clock in the morning, work hard all day, and others come at four thirty in the afternoon, and they work half an hour, and they get the same pay as the people who started at eight o'clock. If you were one of those eight o'clock persons you'd be pretty annoyed wouldn't it yep <laughs> and, and and that's the point It it is shocking it's scandalous and jesus point is doesn't my father have the off have the option to be generous to whoever he wants to not just generous but scandalously generous he's not punishing those who started or who started late he's giving them the same generosity that he gave those who started early
0: yep um could you maybe spend a couple of minutes, I mean, I, I've, there's so much to cover with you. You've written, I've read like seven of your books, um, but I'm trying to keep on track here. I wanted to talk, just spend a few minutes talking about the uniqueness of the Christian faith and, and what, what sort of, what do you believe the two or three uh, key things are that you believe makes that the Christian faith unique and something that's, that's desirable?
2: Yes, I tell the story in there of C.S. Lewis, uh, most of your listeners would probably know that name, and he was coming in a little late to a conference that was on different religions. And he sat down and just whispered to the person next to him, what have we been talking about? And the person said, well, they've been talking about, is there anything particularly unique about Christianity as opposed to the other religions? And he said, oh, well, it's grace, of course. <laughs> and, and I started thinking about that. A uh, couple of things that, are, that I don't find in any religion. One is that God loves sinners that is the message that jesus is trying to get across every religion says god loves good people that's that's nothing new but jesus came along and said no i came for the sick i came for the for the sinners not the righteous and it says in fact i became sin for you (laughs) i took on that sin and that and that leads me to the second part that we're entering the christmas season here that the big God, the sovereign God, the ruler God, most religions have one of those, not every, but most. That God became so small that he was a baby. That's what Christmas is all about. And then he became so vulnerable that he was killed. That is grace. You talk about undeserving. And when Jesus said, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, he showed us how to do that. Yep. You know, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing, he said, not... I'm gonna zap those people. They're killing me. You know.
0: Yeah, he didn't just say do this from on high, but uh, right. I'm I'm actually going to do it and live it out and give you an example.
2: All the way through, and and if you look at the people he hung around, who who was it that gave him the hard time? It wasn't the sinners. It wasn't the, you know, the addicts and people like the prostitutes. They they were coming to him. It was the religious people, the uptight people. He didn't measure up by their standards of what religious people are supposed to look like because he's hanging around the wrong crowd all the time, just as his story told about the wrong crowd, the wrong people being a hero.
0: Yeah, I'll, I, we had our my pastor from my church come on uh, several weeks ago, and he he said that Christianity was the only faith that was fundamentally based on the humiliation of its God. Mm. And I thought, wow, that's really deep, um, <laughs> because uh, it's true. It's, uh, when, when I think of the sacrifice, I think about you know being so powerful, you could and in any moment call upon legions of angels or do whatever right. you want to do, and right. you, you you suffer that humiliation and let it go on. That's yeah. that's pretty shocking, you know, when you think about that. I think about our world leaders, and I, I try to think about I try to think about Saddam Hussein washing George Bush's feet, mm. you know, the night before he was hung, mm. or, or vice versa. I mean, Jesus washed the feet of Judas yeah. the night before he yeah. was crucified, and that's pretty deep. Well,
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right. Well, you mentioned uh, Pope Francis. There was another, uh, an earlier pope just a couple times ago who, who went into a prison and, and washed the feet of Muslims uh, who were terrorists, which is along the line of what you're saying. And not only that, Paul says in Philippians 2, that shocking passage, he said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Jesus, who even though he had all the prerogatives of God, left them became a man not just a man but a servant not just a servant but one who was crucified not just one who was crucified but one who had that kind of that kind of um, utterly ignominious death I'm, i'm paraphrasing here but he said that's the mind that humiliation that you talk about that's what you should be known about by the humility that jesus showed the servant spirit that jesus showed if if we christians were known by that rather than angry screaming defending our position or whatever then we'd be more like jesus
0: yeah that's that's one of my favorite scriptures is philippians 2 5 through 8 i believe that is the my personal opinion is the greatest leadership scripture mm-hmm. in the bible because it, it's talk about the ultimate leader someone who says i'm not going to consider it equality being equality, equal with God is something to cling to. I'm going to empty myself of all that, humble myself, take on the position of a, of a human being, and uh, and die a criminal's death on a cross for people. This is There's a guy who wrote a book named Simon Sinek. He says that uh, leaders eat last. He was very impressed in the military about how um, you know, people make sure their troops get fed first and then they eat. And, and I thought that the most extreme leader, the, the, the most graceful, scandalous leader, is the one that dies first dies to themselves first and then even physically if necessary for, for the people they're leading
2: uh, yeah servant leadership that's what it's all about and it, it's not just a, a theory people who actually do that find that the people are, who, who are working for them are far more motivated and far more willing to, to follow them The arrogance doesn't get loyalty servanthood breeds loyalty
1: Right, and you know one of the things that Ed and I focus on in this Grace in 30 show is bringing on guests Uh, you know most of our guests are people who Have through some experience come to find their higher purpose in life And and often they will leave the corporate world and go or they will adopt something and do that We we have a friend who was on who was a fireman had never left the country You know, got on his hands and knees after the Haitian earthquake and said, God, do you want me to go to Haiti and serve these people? Today, he has a nonprofit that feeds 240 children and provides their education on an island in Haiti. And that's just who he is. That's that's his if he had a name in life, that's his name. And we we have a lot of people like that who come to find their higher purpose through through prayer, through their own reflection and go on to do the things that they were really born to do. I mean, how much of that do you think is a struggle in this country right now, where yeah. people are angry because they haven't had that sort of conversation with themselves? It's not about the big house. It's not about the BMW. You know, who am I and, and what really turns me on? Because when you find people like that in the workplace or in the community, they're the happiest people you know. They're the most graceful people you know.
2: They absolutely are. As a, as a journalist, one of the things that really strengthened my faith was just going around interviewing people, because I, I started by interviewing stars, you know, thinking about, wow, wouldn't it be great to be uh, uh, Justin Bieber or uh, Miley Cyrus, you know, people like that that are in the limelight all the time. As I got to know those people, I did not want their lives at all. Most of them are pretty miserable, frankly. and it, And I came across this passage that's repeated six different times in the Gospels. It's the one thing that Jesus said that's repeated most often. Again, I'm kind of paraphrasing here, but it goes like this. You don't find your life by acquiring more and more. You find your life by giving it away in service to others. And in the very process of doing that, you find it. And just as a journalist, I I started being attracted to uh, servanthood people because I wanted to be like them. They had something I wanted. You mentioned when you were introducing me, um, Dr. Paul Brand. He's the person who influenced me more than anybody else. The brightest guy I know. I thought about every question in several languages that I asked him, and yet he, he spent his life among the lowest people on the entire planet. I guarantee you there's nobody farther down the social ladder than an untouchable or a Dalit in India who has leprosy. They're at the very bottom. And I've never met anyone more full of gratitude and thanksgiving and meaning and fulfillment than Dr. Paul Brand. And I saw that principle of Jesus lived out over and over. It's it's not the American message, is it? I mean, the American message is acquire more and more and rise higher and higher. And then are we surprised when people get depressed, when they get burned out, when they commit suicide even in some cases? That's not the way to happiness. Jesus had the formula. It's It's... it's looking out for the least of these, he said. And if you do that, you do it for me, and I've got a reward for you.
1: That's right. And, you know, Clay Christensen, who many consider one of the sort of brain trusts of Silicon Valley, had a book called How Will Your Life Be Measured, where he said, you know, the graduating class of Harvard University really has no idea what they're supposed to do in life. And how he came to realize, through his own experience, that many of his cohort— uh, as they went through life, became successful, but m- many became divorced. Some even went to prison. He went to school with Jeffrey skelling
0: Yeah, two and two people in his MBA class uh, wound up going to jail. Well, and he said, "No, nobody here. These people are at Harvard Business School, the the best business school in the world, and they're not asking the question of what is the purpose of my life." And he he actually said that he spent. He was at Cambridge at the time, and he said he spent the, you know, each, each night an hour praying and reading and reflecting on what his purpose was. And when he laid that out, he used that as sort of a guidepost for everything he did in his life. And he, he attributes you know, his success, not just in terms of monetary success, but in terms of you know, living a full life.
1: Look, I, I want to ask you, uh, you know, as, a, as a 46-year-old man with three children, I, I loved your, your, uh, your blog about the, the elk in the okay. rutting. And, and, you know, how, how do we bring grace to our, to our marriages? I and mean, you talk about the intimacy that couples have, but a lot of times that wears off, right? You're busy, you're, you're in three different places with three different kids and, you know, you're running around and the boss is keeping you late at work. I mean, how, how do you, you know, do you have any of your, your writings that really focus on that? Because you talk about that. It really is a core thing that is as not only just the people of any faith, but how core that is to the marriage. I mean, do you have any thoughts on that?
2: Yes, I do. And um I would put it like this. If you go into marriage, most of us do, thinking that uh this is going to satisfy all of your selfish needs, sexual whatever. You quickly find out the honeymoon doesn't last all that long, you know. <laughs> On the other hand, if you go into marriage thinking this is a beautiful way to develop spiritual disciplines, you you're going to be a, you're going to have a successful marriage. You say you're 46. I've been married 46 years. And if you want to learn forgiveness, if you want to learn humility, servanthood, I mean, and then when you add kids on top of that, my goodness, they're just draining you, draining you, draining you, keeping you from things. But but what's the most important to you? You die for these kids. You die for your wife. And what we've been talking about, I think marriage is a beautiful place to live out. It's kind of a proving ground for these truths because you you go into it and think it's going to be, self-indulgent. It's not that at all. You you give, you give, you give, and then at the end you, you look back and say, wow, while I was giving, I got, <laughs> you know. I, I, these things mean more to me than anything else in life.
0: So we got about two and a half minutes or so uh, for the interview, and I want to make sure we, we spend a little time on you issuing a call to action. We try to do that with everybody that comes on the show. And I don't know if there's something you'd like to say specifically to Christians to encourage them to do, and just to all listeners in general. But what would that be? What's what's on your heart and mind?
2: Uh, yesterday, I had lunch with this woman who told me a great story. She was in New York. She'd been raised Catholic. She didn't really know the Bible all that well. And then she started reading it, just on her own. And she loved it. And she was attracted to anything going on religious. So commuting to from... Um, uh, her place of work to the subway through through the subway, she walked past this guy, and she stopped the person who was with her, the woman who was with her, and said, "Listen to that! Listen to that! He's saying Jesus is coming. Start singing! Jesus is coming. Start singing! We should start singing!" And the woman with her said, "You know what? You, you can't hear. He's saying Jesus is coming. Stop sinning!" <laughs> 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 and uh, here was this uh, you know sidewalk prophet. But but I love that twist, because a lot of people think the church, the message of the church is, Jesus is coming, stop sinning, you know. And no, the message, the good news of the gospel is, Jesus is here. Start singing. And Christians should be characterized by joy and by love and by unity and somehow getting along with people nobody else can get along with and somehow giving money away cheerfully, you know, those kind of characters uh... the the characteristics and qualities and if if we just did that jesus is here let's start singing i'm going to make my goal today see to it that no one misses the grace of god the clerk at the grocery store the guy at the gas station you know whoever i encounter somehow i want them when i leave to feel a little higher than they than they were when i got there not lower but a little bit higher and if we could make that our goal that is the mark of a Christian, love and joy and the fruits of the Spirit. I meditate on those at least once a week. I go through you know, love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, and say, okay, is my life showing these things? I need help. I need constant. I need to be connected to the vine. And my charge would be for us as a church to live out those fruits of the Spirit.
1: That's great. Yeah, Philip, thank you so much uh, for joining Ed and I. I loved your book, and uh, you've made a profound uh, impact on us. And, and uh, you know, the show Grace and 30 uh, is, is probably a little bit of a tribute to your efforts. So we thank you again.
2: Great uh, name. I love it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and, and so for listeners uh, who want to find out more about uh, Philip Yancey, please visit his website at philipyancey.com or our website, gracein30.com. There'll be more information about this posted at graceand 30com a recording of the show will be found on the grayson 30com and WERA websites 24 hours after the show airs. Uh, a replay of this show will occur this Sunday at 8.30 a.m. both online and on air here in the Washington, D.C. area at 96.7 FM. Ed, who do we have next week?
0: Next week we'll be joined by some of the good folks at uh, A-SPAN, which is a local organization striving to end homelessness in Arlington. Love them. This is Ed and Sal signing off from Grace and 30 on WERALP Arlington 96.7 FM. Have a great night and be sure to tune into
1: Grace. Good night.